Hello and welcome to episode 191 of the official EstablishingRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. I am back from a full-blown team smell the roses, team sex. Shout out to me, vacation down in Key West. Great place, by the way. But anyways, today I am joined by a young man quietly steering the ship behind the scenes at ETR. Actually, let me clarify that. If you like any decisions that we've made at ETR, they were made by Evan and I. If you disagree or dislike any decisions that we've made at ETR, they were made by our corporate overlord, Taylor KB. But yes, this is a young man who some of you true old schoolers may remember as the legend Green Plastic from the peak online poker scene. You may remember him from Card Runners. You may remember him from Draft Day. You may know him because he somehow has his own Wikipedia page. It is Taylor KB, officially CEO, fellow co-founder of ETR. Taylor, how's it going, buddy? It's going good. Good to be back, and I'm glad to be a little filler content during uh, this uh, slow fantasy season. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to you know step in and take the take the brunt of um, the, the the boredom that it, that exists otherwise. But uh, yeah, and you look good after your after your trip. I gotta say, you got a little little sun that we seem a little relaxed. Uh I'm what's known as right now as a bronze Adonis, is I believe what what people would refer to me as. So so yeah, I, I know. I mean, the sun beat me up. I, I I was crazy sunburned, and now I I'm starting to feel a little bit better. But it really did take a lot out of me. Anyways, I love doing these kind of industry podcasts because I always think that it's good to step back and peel back the curtain a little bit. And while I know most of you listening probably, or I know most of you aren't in the fantasy industry. I find the business side of kind of all stuff fascinating, and I, and I think, I hope that many of you do too. So this will be a bit of a different podcast. We won't be talking about the NFL or players. We'll be back with Evan. Actually, tomorrow, I'll be back with Evan to get into some more NFL stuff. Before we get into today's show with Taylor, I want to remind everyone of three things. First, our bundle package is live. This package bundles the draft kit and our in-season package together at a discount. You can find that on the subscribe page of the site. Second, with Underdog finally, finally live in my home state of Pennsylvania. Actually, for now, I'm actually moving in one month, but for now, I'm in Pennsylvania and Underdog is finally live. Want to remind everyone that all DraftKids subscribers get a $10 credit on Underdog, whether you have a new account or not. If you do have a new account on Underdog, as everyone in Pennsylvania will, you get a $35 credit on Underdog. DraftKid is only $34.99, so it's essentially free. Easy game. And finally, Finally, have to mention, if you are a subscriber, be sure to get in the Discord. We're all in there chatting it up. There's a Jerry bot. There's Team Sex stickers. It's actually a good time. Even though I'm a stone boomer, we're actually going to talk about the Discord a little bit more as we get into it here. All right. Taylor. First of all, since we last talked, I believe Taylor was on episode 78. And for his full background, you can go back to episode 42. We talk more about his background. But since you were on episode 78 in July of last year, I mean, things have gotten really, really out of control in all kinds of markets. Stock market, I mean, has absolutely boomed. Crypto went absolutely nuclear. The NFT boom hit. The housing market is out of control. Like, you are the peak businessman. What the hell is going on out there in this, I would call it just like full-blown mania? I've I've never been called the peak businessman, but um, yeah, I think... You know, I am in some ways qualified to 
give an answer here, I think, because I have an experience, I have experience actually like gambling professionally and, and typically have been pretty good at it. Um, but I've also spent some time working in the, in the quote unquote real world. Um, and, you know, I, I think just stepping back and trying to analyze this, like last year was just so unprecedented. And the biggest change was that everyone was just sitting around on their phones and computers all the time. And like, instead of like focusing on whatever they may be doing, you know, when they're not on their phone or computer, it was just like, let's follow the crypto market. Let's follow this meme. Elon Musk tweeted this, you know, oh, there's an NFT. Oh, what is an NFT? You know, all this stuff is happening. And like, everyone is just sort of like chasing the new shiny thing like online. And I think like at the highest level, I actually think this is sort of the beginning of like a longer term trend where, where like, it's almost like a new game that's being played where, where people are like following the, what's happening online memes or new ideas or like influencers and then kind of betting on it in a weird way. Like, you know, what if, if like Elon Musk tweets something about crypto, like the market is moving or, or really about anything, the market is moving. And, and I actually think this kind of started with Trump, like back, I noticed it back when Trump was first president, like he would tweet about the most random shit and like the market would move, even if like his tweet was just like something off the top of his head or something designed to sort of like, you know, be a political, like win political points. Basically there's no long-term meaning in, in a lot of this stuff, but like in the short term, people are reacting. So to me, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I know what's going to happen in the markets long-term. Um, I mean, I think they're going to go up generally speaking. Um, but like, as far as like people like listening to this, like, I think there is some opportunity for edge in just, understanding what's like real and what's going on. And like when something's moving because of something that doesn't matter, like taking the other side of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's my best take on it. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. Yeah, no. I, and I love that Twitter has become like the hub for all information. I mean, you guys know how much I love Twitter. I've been on Twitter for, I don't even know how long now, 11, 12 years. And I just feel like I stumbled into like the nut place to be on Twitter. It's so, so, so good right now. I, I will say that like, in a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, in a lot of this media, there's a lot of overlap in audience between the stuff that we are into and we do, right? Like we are DFS players, we are fantasy players, we like to do research, we like to put our money where our mouth is in a big way, we like to compete really hard to find an edge. And so you see a lot of this in our space, like people really into crypto and NFTs and Top Shot, which I'll ask you about in a second. And like, I don't know, I, I think even though there's a lot of overlap there, I still think it's kind of dangerous. I don't feel that comfortable talking publicly about this stuff for really one simple reason. Like I'm no expert in it, right? Like I really like the virtual horse racing. I, I like crypto. I like other things. I, there's stuff I believe in. I think it's the future, but man, I, I'm not an expert in it and I don't know. And so it's like, who am I to be out there talking about this stuff? I know I don't want to be like, you just said people influencing on Twitter and stuff. I don't want to be out there influencing people to buy something super uh, speculative, even if I believe in it. And then like, it goes to zero and they're dusted. And like, I have blood on my hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love it. You're the best at this. So you're like, you know, who am I to say like what you should be doing? And I don't think I know the answers, but, but by the way, I'm breeding these digital horses and <laughs> you know, here's how you can do it. Like, and it's not an affiliate link, but, but like, here's what I'm doing. Um, no, I mean, I'm giving you a hard time, but like, yeah, for sure. I mean, like who the hell knows what's going to happen. And like, that's what we're trying to do here is have like, 
a credible place where, you know, like you can trust what we're saying. I mean, to some extent, like you can trust that we're actually trying to be honest with you and like be straight. And, you know, as far as fantasy players, like I see it kind of as like an opportunity, if anything, like, you know, like, like nobody knows what they're doing and all this other stuff. Like, I, I promise you that like, like we know what we're doing when it comes to fantasy sports, like, and, and, you know, certainly sort of a lot of other people, but like, when there's a new NFT that came out and NFTs didn't even exist like a year ago or whatever, like nobody knows what they're doing. So like, I, I think like it's better all else equal if you're smart to, to find an environment where kind of it's, it's the wild, wild west. And I think what I would say and what I know what I've been doing is just trying to be curious and open-minded to new stuff. And you know, if, if I like it, like, you know, you're saying with the Zed stuff or I, I, you know, enjoyed crypto punks, like things like that, like just going for it and, you know, staying within your bankroll, obviously. Um, but just stepping back on, on one more thing, like if we had taken the idea that like we only were season long fantasy players, like you were seriously into season long fantasy, you know, a decade ago, you would have never stepped into DFS, you know, and like you became one of the most important, you know, I, in my opinion, people in DFS and your, your opinion matters and you're really credible, but you started from, from zero. So, um, I don't know, just being open-minded and, and, and trying to find opportunities, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I'd add there, like you could make a case that this has been the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months or whatever it is, has been like the most insane bull market of all time. Like people are going to look like stone geniuses and we'll see in five years what happens with a lot of this stuff. I know for sure that fantasy football and DFS, like, uh, it'll still be around. Uh, we'll still be able to beat it. And, like, so, I mean, it's just something to feel good about for sure. And I'm still, like, so focused. I still love D- – I know we'll talk about it more, but I'm still – I still love DFS so much. Um, let's get the top shot take out there. I think, like, I think people underestimate how much of top shot was influenced by what was going on in the DFS community. Like, the DFS community took to top shot after – Bales's article and the John Morant uh, uh, moment. I always want to call them cards and then Top Shot bros just like get all over me. Anyways, the Top Shot moment uh, that we bought, like I really think a huge part of Top Shot's growth, at least initially, was DFS players. Uh, What were your thoughts on that? What is your Top Shot take? Because I have a Top Shot take too, but I wanted to hear yours first. Yeah, I mean, I kind of sat it out and I was pretty pretty bummed that I, that I chose to sit it out for, you know, just, I don't know. I wasn't like super passionate about it. And I've just always been like someone who like, when I'm into something, I'm into it and I'm all in and like, I just go for it. And I just, for whatever reason, Top Shot didn't do it for me. Um, I, I think like, you just have to know what you're betting on, you know, is really what all this stuff comes down to. Like you're making a long-term bet on, you know, other people's desire to own something, which, you know, can change over time. Um, and, and you're also making a bet on, on like the company, like Dapper, like their ability to manage their own business manage their interests versus your interests versus other companies that, you know, may compete against them. Um, it's, it's complicated. Like it, it is a complicated bet that you're making. And, you know, also how does that compare to physical cards, memorabilia, all this other stuff. So, you know, like just from like a, value perspective like the market I, I don't even know what the numbers are i know the market's down a lot from the peak but um you know my my antenna has always peaked when like there's like perceived value and there's like actual like you know a drop in a big drop in prices so 
I don't know. I, I think I think I'd say if you're if you're interested, go for it. And um, I, I could see it being a really good bet from where it sits right now. I just I just don't have a lot of confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, my general thesis is that everything is going digital. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like anything you think that is physical now will eventually. I don't know when exactly will eventually be replaced by what you can do on your computer and on your phone. And if that's the general thesis, and you want to say, hey, physical cards are going to be over the next five, ten, twenty, fifty years, be weaned out and it will all go digital well then top shot while it's buried like this so bad is a good bet i am scared like you mentioned that it's so centralized to dapper like you are putting a lot of faith in dapper executing and making the right decisions they certainly have enough money now after what they're raising at these insane valuations but but yeah i mean you're making a bet on dapper being centralized and i also think that like just because I, i'll say this like when Tyler Hero cards were going for 30K and Demonis Sabonis cards were going for 10K, like that seemed really, 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 really absurd to me. So like those car, those moments getting absolutely crushed uh, is not that surprising to me. Like you could have a way bigger addressable market. You could have way more people on Top Shot and still the moments might not be worth that much more. At least some of them, most of them won't be worth that much more they are now. So I think there's like a disconnect between this taking over and what the pricing will be. Are you following what I'm saying there? Or do you think that like, if they get zillions and zillions of more people on the platform, that price will automatically go up? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, like the thing I kept seeing from like the people cheerleading, this was like, oh my God, there's only 150,000 people on Top Shots right now. And like, there potentially will be 10 million. Like imagine how much the prices will go up. And, and like, but like top, the, uh, the alternative to that argument is like three months before that, like nobody knew what the hell this was and there was no demand whatsoever for any of this. And there's no guarantee that like, even if like all these people are first, like all the people that come on the platform aren't going to have the money. Like the, the, the stuff at the top end is clearly being fought over by like, you know, the, the 0.1% of sports fans in terms of their interest and, and like money. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's clear at all. And I also don't think it's clear that, you know, in 50 years, clearly there's going to be more digital collectibles, more digital everything. That That's obvious. But like the, the Honus Wagner card or whatever that most popular like old time baseball card is, I think it's that one, like has retained its value and increased its value forever. And like, I don't even think most of the people that like have owned it or know about it even really know anything about Honus Wagner. You know, it, it's just, it's it's the idea that like, that is the like, rare you know quintessential like like cool old original influential card and i i wouldn't shock me if like in 50 years people are more interested in some of these like rare physical things because everything's digital and at that time and like it's mm -hmm. like man it's hard to come across like actually rare physical stuff so i don't know i mean I, i'm just trying to make the the, the counterpoint I, I don't really know but um i think it's just dangerous to be like taking things as like taking things for granted that like the digital stuff is going to overtake everything else yeah well we talked uh a decent amount about what we wanted to do with top shot if we wanted to produce content for it if we what we exactly what we wanted to do we landed on a collectibles podcast which talks about top shot featuring two guys who i actually really love cody and gary cody main and gary hartman uh if you guys haven't checked out the podcast i think it's really good if you're into collecting anything they talk a lot about physical cards they talk about top shot also um what did you think about how it played out for us with kind of sitting out top shot but launching the collectibles pod 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it made sense. I think it, it, it checked a lot of boxes of things that I like. Um, you know, first of all, Cody and Gary have been contributing um, behind the scenes and 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 front uh, front customer facing for a while. And I, I think it's really important for us to try to you know reward people that are doing a good job and and elevate them at our at our company. And so those guys are super passionate about um, collectibles and cards and, and giving them that kind of venue, uh, to talk about it, I think makes sense from that perspective, but like, you know, look, we just wanted to have something that was like a little more broad. And, and you know, if you're, if you're not like the collectibles are not your like number one passion in life, maybe, but like, you're trying to get into it a little more, you're trying to be smart about it. You want to be entertained. Like we want to have a place for you that you can, if you're an ETR fan, you know, you can go somewhere that you can trust to get some information. And, you know, but it's not too serious, you know, and, and, and I think that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I mean, I find myself listening to it. I'm not, I'm not a huge collectibles guy, but like, you know, just kind of hearing what, what's going on, what they have to say, some takes. And, you know, I've got a, a two and a half year old son and, and like, I'm kind of hoping to get into some sports like collectible stuff with him when he gets a little older and I just need somewhere to start. So I, I I'm hopeful that it, that it continues to be successful. Yeah. Uh, I, my kids, I have a six and a three-year-old, both of them like to collect cards. I got them some packs, some cheap packs to, to open and they open those and they keep them in a binder. And they also like to watch our horses race, our virtual horses race, of course. So yeah, they're all over it. Um, okay. Last thing I want to ask you about on this mania stuff is, I mean, absolutely eye popping acquisitions in this space. Our good friends at Roto Grinders, forty million to Better Collective. Our good friends at Action Network slash Fantasy Labs, two hundred forty million to Better Collective. Our good friends at Lineups.com, thirty nine million to Cantina Media. Monkey Knife Fight, ninety million to Bally's. Vison, hundred million to DraftKings. I mean, first of all, hashtag How Rich with like all caps. Uh, how Rich. Second of all, what do you think? about all these acquisitions going on. And I, I think what people listening probably want to know is how do you think this affects them as consumers um, of content or whatever these sites uh, were doing before they were acquired? Yeah, and, and these are like a really broad set of companies. So it's kind of hard to just draw one like like trend, I guess, for all of them, but I'll just kind of do my best to talk about them. The, the main trend is that like people are trying to make money from sports betting, like that, like, that's full stop. Like what everyone is trying to do uh, for sports betting and, and online um, gaming. Um, and, you know, looking at like monkey knife fight. Uh, well, to me, the interesting thing is like how different all of these approaches are, but, but they get, they still all kind of accomplish the same thing. Um, you know, this is just like DFS and props uh, monkey knife fight. And and that's an ability for um, Bally's to it was Bally's right. That, that yeah. acquired them. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- you know, to, to, to sort of, credibly acquire customers and to, to some extent monetize customers in states where there's no sports betting, you know, and like, and, and also use, get a database of, of players that are clearly interested in gambling and, and lineups. I don't actually know a ton about it. Um, but I, I, you know, looking around the site, it seems pretty SEO driven. So, you know, they're getting customers, um, from, from Google and presumably con- converting them to, uh, you know, different places where they can make money. And, you know, there's just there's just so many sites out there that like have some niche that get a lot of traffic and and can make money off of it and and if if you can do it you know you can write your own ticket as long as it's in you know if it's in this industry um where i think it starts to get pretty interesting to me is the the rotor grinders and action network 
um, stuff in that they're, they're kind of more combinations of their brands. You know, they have sites that people go to that are, you know, not just maybe they find them on Google or, 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 or social or whatever, but they're, that they're building an audience and, and sort of like people that want to keep coming back for their, their information, for their personalities, for the data tools, whatever it is. And I think that's really kind of where more of the future is going. Like, I think a lot of these like purely SEO plays, they're just going to get sucked out of the market. And there's just only so many people that can like sit on the top of Google for, for certain important search terms. Um, but you know, like the action network in two and a half years was a, you know, $200 million plus acquisition, you know, just, just creating content that gamblers want and doing well on Google and, and, and kind of rolling up fantasy labs and, and some of the other stuff. And I think that is really interesting. And, and then VSEN is the last one, like, that's just like purely content and media, which, you know, DraftKings clearly is making a bet that they think that they can use that content and media to, um, you know, entertain their customers, to bring in new customers, to extend the life lifespan of customers, making, you know, people more interested in, in, you know, continuing to bet or continuing to bet with, with DraftKings. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think like, people shouldn't expect this to slow down in the short term. Um, I think it's going to only continue. And I think, I think things will look more like the VSIN and, and like action network stuff as we get forward, as, as, as sports betting companies are trying to really differentiate um, and, and try to, you know, make the case as to why you should use them, you know, and, and what they can offer you. That's a little different um, than, than sort of th- their competitors. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to keep talking about sports betting. Um, in a macro sense, and later we'll get into sports betting and how we think about it at ETR, but more in a macro sense of sports betting. I mean, there is an all-out war going on right now for customer acquisition, and that's why you see some of these huge, huge numbers on the acquisitions. I mean, the war for customer acquisition is absurd. I think Wiggins just said there's 20 books available in the state of Colorado right now. Like, how many of them can be winners? And I have more questions for you because, by the way, for you guys who don't know, Taylor was on the other side of the counter uh do you want to tell people about what you were doing before you joined us at ETR, uh, Taylor, why you're qualified to speak on this? But yeah, the war for customer acquisition right now in sports swing is absolutely out of control. How many winners can there be? Yeah, I was the guy throwing cons like Adam out of the book when yeah. they were trying to make winning bets. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I actually wasn't doing that. But um, he, he just every time like some sharp gets limited somewhere, especially if it's him, he <laughs> reaches out and like just tilts to me like it's my fault. But um yeah, so I was at working at a company called Rush Street Interactive, which people might know the Bet Rivers brand, which is in a lot of a lot of different states now. But I was in uh, the director of sportsbook for about a year, um, a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty familiar with how things work behind the scenes. Um, I don't know. It's a short answer for all this stuff. I, I think that like the states have such different rules, like like New Jersey and Colorado make it really pretty, pretty, you know, um, desirable or, or uh, available for, for different books to enter the market, that the fees are relatively low. You know, you can talk yourself into thinking you could be successful when, when you know, the taxes aren't super high and it's not that hard to get a license. Um, some of these other states, though, you know, like in Pennsylvania, it's really expensive to get a license and the tax rate is like 40%. So, um, you know, it's hard. And, and as such, I think there's only, what are there, six books in Pennsylvania right now? Yeah, not many. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, there's not really, a, I don't think, a better way to do it. There's pros and cons to every single way, but you just have to understand that these are state-by-state things. So, like, the way this evolves is really going to depend on where you are. And, 
it's a shame that there's not like a national, you know, a federal sports betting law where, you know, it's just, it's allowed or every states can just opt in. But because then I think you would see, it'd be so much easier for like an exchange to work if you could just go on it and almost anywhere and, and do it, uh, you know, a low fee model. Um, but but the, the bottom line is though, that doesn't really work. You need a ton of volume for that to work. And it just doesn't really work if it's in like a couple states. And, and I, I would also throw out there that, I think you can draw some conclusions from what happened in like the, like the brokerage like industry with like Robinhood, And that is like super, the, the re, in my opinion, the reason that it worked is they took the fees out up, up front trading and they, but maybe more importantly, they made it super easy just to do it. And, or, or maybe just as importantly. And I think like the exchange model really breaks down when like you sit there and look at an exchange. Like, I just think most like 95% of betters like do not want to look at an exchange. They want to see like, I want to bet on this team. And like, I don't even care what the odds are. I just want to know what the, like what the spread is, you know? And, and like, maybe that changes, but like, I think that like, there's a lot of improvements that could be done on the user experience. And I think that will help. And I think that stuff will happen, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just like not super optimistic that there's going to be like this, like amazing low cost book that like lets every sharp bet, but I'm also not sure most people care about that. Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, uh, on the revenue and the tax situation, I mean, sports betting as on a whole, I think, is not maybe not as profitable business as a lot of people think. iGaming is a different story. You know, people going on and firing it off in, in blackjack or slots or whatever they're doing in the iCasino. That's a different story. But sports betting individually, I don't know how many winners there can be. You need, obviously, a lot of people betting because people are going to be trying to pick you off. And like Taylor alluded to, like, I kind of get it. I've been thrown out of two books in Pennsylvania so far. I feel like I'm on the verge of getting thrown out of a third. I hope they're not listening to this uh, uh, right now. Um, And basically, like, it's just, it's not great. Like, the model is not great. If you're a loser or if you want to bet really small stakes or small stakes or medium stakes, you're probably fine. Um, if you show any pulse at some of these places, you're just getting the stone boot. And so there's a lot of people um, who are like, well, this is a ridiculous. This is un-American. There needs to be an exchange. But I agree with Taylor that the vast majority of people don't really care that much. This doesn't affect that many people. Most people don't. They may not realize it, but they're long term losers and they don't care. They're not price sensitive enough uh, to want an exchange. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of pessimistic that we'll see a change anytime in the near future from this kind of European model of throwing out significant winners or throwing out winners and some in some case throwing out even break even players like anybody who throws out th- anybody who has a pulse so yeah like the whole thing is is not great i think when you peel back the curtain um for sure yeah i just want to throw out though that like this this idea that like break even or even losers are getting thrown out with regularity i think is just just wrong i mean i'm not going to say it hasn't happened or doesn't happen but like I mean, if, it, if you think about the incentives of a sports book, they want to have like a break-even player in a sports book is 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 fine. Like these, they're going to offer iGaming. They're going to have, you know, they, they want to have the person's business like in the mix. So some of these places have brick and mortar casinos. They they want to establish a relationship with these customers. And but mistakes happen. I mean, these are humans that are behind the scenes trying to determine you know, who should be kicked out or what, or whatever. And it's just, it's just not that big of a deal. I will also say if you're betting like a hundred or $200 a bet or less, the odds of you getting like kicked out are really, really yeah. slim. I mean, right. so like, let's just be, let's just be like real. Like 
if you're betting like more than that and you're significantly winning, like you're at risk of getting limited for sure. Yeah. But like what that right there, that's like less than 1% of people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I mean, when I said break even, it's like, I don't think they know, right? Like I, I made one bet at a place on something and I beat the closing line. And the next thing I knew, like they were like, they didn't know if I was a long-term winner or loser. I made one bet that turned out good based on closing line. I don't even know if it won or not. They have no idea, but they were just like, Oh, he, he beat the closing line. No, no more bets for him. You know? And I feel like you're, I feel like you're solely responsible for that, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't mention that it was like, uh, like, like, I don't know, NASCAR, like three <laughs> days before the race, like at went there, showed up at 7am when the line opened or something. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely depends. If you're betting like really, really thinly traded markets and you're betting them, especially like some people showed, I remember back at the book, like you'd have, you'd have customers showing up like for college football, like the Monday before, right when the lines came out, trying to bet like, you know, 10 grand on a side or something. I mean, like, it's pretty obvious that that guy knows what he's doing, you know, even if you don't know how it's going to play out. So sure. if you're going to try to get some bets through, you at least might as well, might, might want to be smart about it. Sure. Yeah. And one thing I will say is that especially DraftKings and FanDuel here in Pennsylvania, I mean, they've done an incredible job with props, like how many props they're offering. I mean, on any given NBA night, I mean, there could be three, four, five hundred props available to you on a full slate, obviously not the playoffs. But but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And, and if you want to bet 100, 200, even up to 300, I think I don't think they're going to give you a problem. They, I haven't seen people have problems betting props. So that's been awesome. And like, so I'm obviously really into props i think most people listening to this you play fantasy are as well i think futures market like you're not going to get uh kicked out or limited for betting futures because the outcome takes so long for them to find out whether you're winning or losing or not the awards markets ryan reynolds has been doing a great job doing a lot of content for us on the awards markets like there's other stuff like that that i think is really cool that um they're okay with you beating them on um and i think we can beat them on that so like i'm optimistic on that side of it for sure. Did, was there any like props or futures or awards type talk when you read the book? No, I mean, like it was, it was just not, it's, it's not a material part of the business as far as like right. the revenue that's generated. And, and this is a couple years ago, so maybe it's a little different now. And I, and I think it depends on the book. I think I completely agree with DraftKings and FanDuel. They have done a really nice job of like the amount of props that you have and like the, the, the NFL draft stuff. I mean, it was awesome. Those pods you guys did. I was betting him like crazy, just listening to the pods, like firing off the stuff I, I thought was a good idea. And I mean, there's, there's like bets for like week one of the NFL season or like, you know, how many yards is Trevor Lawrence going to throw for the year? You know, just like random stuff where it's like three months out and they're still putting up interesting stuff. So I, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about, about where they're going to take that. All right, let's move into some more establish the run centric topics and and one thing that we've been thinking about is like pandemic effects that will sustain and one of them that i think is going to sustain is this whole idea of community online like people couldn't leave their house they were um they had nothing to do they wanted to hang out on the internet and i think that was kind of going on before the pandemic but certainly got accelerated by it so um we made the move recently to launch a discord which you know i've made fun of discords and online communities before called them virgins and stuff like that but i actually kind of liked it recently like my biggest hesitation on launching the discord was just gonna it was just gonna turn into a people bitching about bad beats b people going at each other about politics c people coming with like religion stuff and i just those three things i just cannot stand for one second of any of it so that was my biggest hesitation 
we've had it going for what one or two weeks now. I haven't really seen any of that, which has been great. It's obviously against the rules of our Discord as well. But yeah, what do you think about community and how it affects what's going on to establish the run and the Discord? Yeah, I mean, you you kind of said it. I think like we we you and and me and most of us were just kind of against doing this because it's 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 kind of scary and it's certainly against like the way it used to be with like what sites like ours. But I, I think it's important that like, you know, we want people to come to ETR and use this as a resource to get more informed, but, but also to have a good time, you know? And like, if, if like there's other people that are interested in, you know, the topics that you are, that you could communicate with and, and get to know, then that's great. And I think, you know, the other thing is like just the ability for us to give information out quickly like it's going to be great for DFS season. I mean, like when it's Sunday morning and there's like weather issues or guys that are getting scratched or, or rumors or whatever you call it, like just throwing in a few lines into the discord can save people a lot of headache from having to think about stuff that they, that, you know, they can get a quick take and like, they can also ask other subscribers, like what their takes are. Um, and, and like you said, we're taking a really heavy handed approach to like, if you're a problem, like you're out of there. And like, I think that's, that's where online communities break down is when there's just, clowns that are, you know, not following the rules and, and, you know, just acting like, like foolish. And, and, and that's not going to be a problem with ours. Cause if, if it is, you're gone. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's exciting and I'm glad we're doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, we're all in there, all of us at ETR are in there, but there's also some really, really, a lot of really, really sharp subscribers that are in there talking amongst themselves. And I think there's actually pretty good value there too. So yeah, I, I've, I'm optimistic about it. I think it's been going well. Um, I'll be in there next week, actually, for a Q&A. Nobody, nobody get out of control. Uh, everybody stay calm. Uh, ask normal questions. Not too much sex stuff while I'm in there next week for the uh, Q&A. We, we should, I should give a plug. We're going to do a Discord week next week where different ETR people, you, Silva, Drew, Leone, going to come in different times just for questions and, you know, just to mess around and, and talk. So we're going to, we'll put up some more info, but, but if you are a subscriber and you, you can be just a draft kit subscriber or um, full in season or whatever, you have to have some premium subscription, but if you are um, check it out on the site and, and get signed up and, and it's, it doesn't cost you anything uh, after your subscription. All right. Speaking of community, I'm sure you guys have noticed that we've put a lot of effort into our digital content lately and by digital content i mean clips from the uh shows that we do i mean these digital shorts that the content team is doing shout out to steven and Zena and all those guys that are doing those they've been amazing um instagram we put effort into youtube we're putting a lot of effort into i i think that um people might well I know people think I'm a stone boomer and they're like, what is Adam doing with these? I mean, I don't even know the half the pop culture references that that these guys are referring to on on the videos. But I'm sure people are, are like, wow, this is cool. I, it's obviously not about fantasy, like these jokey kind of memes and and videos that we do aren't helping people win. I still think they're fun. I have no idea if it's helping us make money. I have no idea if it's helping anything, but they're damn fun and they're damn funny. So I'm happy we're doing it. Uh, maybe the people want to know from you why we're putting effort into this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's truly insane though, Adam, like for being, I don't know, 38 years old, like or however old you are, you you would think like he doesn't know like any movie reference or and I, and I'm bad. Like I don't know a lot of this stuff too, but like like we have to like explain all these memes and like 
and he's like, Hey guys, is this funny? And we're like, yeah, like it's funny. And then like, it gets like 300 likes and, and like he's tweeting on his own account and like, he doesn't understand it, but um, no, it's, it's, it, you know, I, I wish I knew the answer as to whether this was actually like a good thing for us as far as like making money. But, but like, I, I just think it feels like the right thing to do. I mean, like the, the world has changed. Like, like it's not 2010 when you like buy a fantasy magazine and like you read Silva's column, you know, weekly at Roto world. Like this, like fantasy is a year round thing. You like to have fun with it. You know, you, you want to be, you want to get informed, but like, come on, like we, we've got a, there's a bunch of boring shit out there that like, that, that is like informative, but you still don't want to consume it. So like, we're trying to put some stuff out that's funny and relevant and, and have a good time with it. But like, I mean, if you spent any time listening to our content, like your, your pods, not the solo pod, but your, your regular pods and, and the in-season stuff, like, you know, we're serious about fantasy. I mean, like you and Evan are two of the absolute most serious fantasy analysts, if not the two most in the world. And you're, you know, your shit, but like, it, it, you know, we also like to have fun. And I think it's just important to find that balance. So I think that's what's happening. And there's so many things that we've done that have just been like, Hey, let's put out good content. Let's, let's have a good time. Let's have fun. And we don't know if it's the right business move, but like it, I think people just tell us over and over again, they really enjoy, you know, the, the vibe and, and, and having, having a good time with us. Yeah, for sure. And when I'm scrolling through stuff on Twitter, when I find a funny meme or a funny clip or a funny video, I stop and watch that too. So I agree. I have no idea if it's making direct money, but it's certainly fun. The one thing about Instagram, I feel like we're losing on Instagram because how can you win on Instagram if you're not like a beautiful woman? Like that's what wins on Instagram. I don't, I, you know, how are we going to win? We need, we need beautiful women holding up like fantasy football signs or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you're asking the wrong guy to know how to win on Instagram. So um, <laughs> I, I, let's just put it this way. You, you can't win them all. So I think that's probably, that's probably going to have to apply here. Okay. So some recent uh, changes at ETR, I'm sure you guys are aware of. Really happy for Pat Corain, who got a full-time job from NBC, formerly Roto World. Um, we also, so Corain uh, is moving on to to Roto World, sorry, NBC. In the last couple months, we've also brought on Justin Herzig, who I'm sure you guys have heard on the pods and read his articles on best ball. And Jack Miller, also uh, in the recent months, What's going on there? What do you think is happening with kind of the uh, personnel changes that we've seen a lot of people moving around in the fantasy industry lately? Yeah, I, I've said from day one that like if ETR is going to win, it needs to be a place where people that are really talented, like they want to be, you know, they want to come here. They want to they want to work with us. Um, and, you know, at the same time, we're not going to be able to keep everybody forever, especially when, you know, we don't have full-time jobs available for everyone that's working here. It's just, it's just not how it's, it's just not going to work that way. We're a small company. So the fact that Pat, you know, was able to, not that he had, you know, no experience prior to ETR, obviously was very talented, but used, I think, got more exposure through ETR, built up his, his credibility, his, his knowledge, and, and, you know, it probably is a, you know, a mark on, on the resume when, when companies like NBC or other or others are, are interested in, in, in hiring. And I think like, you know, that's okay. Like we know that, that, that that's, that that's going to happen, but like for us, it's just about continually bringing in really, really high quality people. And, and, you know, Justin and Jack are two recent examples. You've mentioned Ryan earlier, who's doing great stuff on the awards, awards markets. Cody, there's just so many people. I can't even, I can't name them all, but like, these are people that we all think are 
really talented. And if, and if we have them here, we think they're talented. So, um, you know, I think that's going to keep happening to some extent. I think we're going to keep adding. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And, and also just the other last thing with like you and Evan, like this business was set up so that you and Evan could make the most of your talent and your fans and, and everything that you have. So like it is here to make, it's not for me. It's not for like, it, it's, it's really for you guys and, and you and, and everyone, all the other creators. So I think like, we're going to keep that mentality and make sure that the people that are really important and are really providing value are, are, are getting value back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, by the way, we'll have uh, some news on dynasty stuff. I know a lot of dynasty guys are waiting for uh, kind of news on what we're going to be doing going forward there. Stay tuned. We'll have an announcement sometime, I think in the next one to two weeks on the dynasty stuff. Um, okay. Let's talk about ETR and sports betting because I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. It's like, People are like, man, Adam, you guys, you guys should really do some sports betting content. You guys should, you guys should sell a sports betting package. That, that's really popular. And I'm like, yeah, you know, thanks. I hadn't realized that sports betting is popular. Like, uh, wow. Um, obviously, obviously we could make a ton of money by saying, here's our sports betting picks package, uh, buy it for a hundred dollars a year. I mean, it would be a print fest. However, I, I find this really, really tricky, probably trickier than than most people. I, I just like selling essentially a picks package in these markets that I don't think anyone who's talking about them in public on Twitter can beat. Like anyone touting how good they are at betting NFL sides on Twitter, like I'm I'm 40 and 19 in my last 59 games against the spread in the NFL. Like I am happy to take your action against widely available lines. Like, it's just an absolute joke. And I know I have a really harsh take on this, and Taylor thinks that maybe my take on this is too, too harsh. I just don't think that these people publicly touting, publicly selling packages to big markets like NFL sides are winning at, at all. And so I just don't feel good if we can't beat. Like, I know we can help people win in DFS and in season long. Like, 100% for sure we can help people do that. If we can't help people win, why should we be selling a package or anything like that and maybe it's too harsh maybe i'm being too hard on people out there selling packages and stuff it just drives me absolutely crazy i don't know what do you think yeah yeah i don't know i mean i think like it's been we've we've, we've, we've hit on it before and i think like it, it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish like you know i personally think that we can be helpful to people like let me step back people that are betting sports have different motivations for doing it like a lot of times most people, in fact, don't really care about winning. They just want to enjoy the games, you know? And like, and I think that's where we can really, you know, help. Like we can help you understand the game on a deeper level. We can have, you know, some, some takes that like are, are probably better than 50, 50, but like, if I'm being honest, can we beat NFL sides? Like, you know, the closing lines, I, I, I highly doubt it. So because of that, we're not going to do that. But at the same time, I think there is an opportunity for us to absolutely crush props futures, things like that. And I think this year, one of the things that we're working on is a, is a show with you and Silva and, and, and maybe others that's sports betting focused, but you know, it's done in a credible way. And like, it's, it's not like, Hey, you know, it, it's, first of all, it's not going to require, you know, you to pay to get access to it. Um, but, or at least there'll be parts of it that are, that are, that are free. Um, and, you know, it's not like here's our picks, five picks of the week or whatever. It's, it's literally entertainment, you know? And, but at the same time, like 
it's, it's, it's credible and you're going to learn something and you're going to enjoy it. And, you know, if you don't want to bet it, then don't bet, you know, just like that. It's, it's, it, and I think that's where we're going to sit and we know what we're good at where it's, it's fantasy and, and we're just shying away from the other stuff. And, and I guess time will tell if that's the right decision. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to expand props uh, coverage for sure. Like, you know, it's, it's so fun. I love talking to people actually in the discord about props and stuff like that. Like it's actually uh, really, really interesting how props set up and overlap with DFS and projections and fantasy uh, so, so, so much for sure. So, so yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, last thing before we get to a couple listener questions, it feels to me, maybe, I, maybe, maybe this is like a bubble thing. It feels to me like Dynasty is getting more popular. It feels to me like season long, even though I thought it was already like as popular as it could possibly be, is it possible season long is even getting more and more popular? And one thing I'd say is like as more and more people turn to sports betting and are focused on sports betting, like I think there's a lot of value in me and us just being like, I'm still focused on fantasy. Like that is our that is our focus. Like that's what we're good at. That's what we know everybody else is doing sports betting and chasing the bag there i mean god season long is so popular it feels like dynasty is getting more popular and i know maybe i'm in the minority man but i still absolutely love dfs and i still think dfs football and dfs basketball i mean it's still really 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 popular and people really 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 do love it and enjoy it and have fun with it um so yeah I, i'm just curious what you think about the state of season long and dynasty and how it relates to everything else going on yeah, I mean, I, I love season-long fantasy, too, and I, I actually love it more now than I did five years ago, for sure, when I was when I was in the weeds of DFS, like, playing DFS, like, very, very seriously, and it's just such a fun social game. I think of it as, like, a social network for for guys, mostly. I mean, it's not all guys, but it's, it's predominantly men that play, and, you know, you can follow the players, and there's drama, and, like, especially with Dynasty, like, off-season, you know, kind of all these, like, rumors that come out in, like, March and April – you know, it actually is really relevant, you know, and then you're sweating the draft, you know, in a new way, because it's totally messing with your team based on what, what's happening. So I, I, I'm optimistic. And I think like, who are you going to trust? If, if you're looking for fantasy information, are you going to trust the guys that only like talk about fantasy? Don't try to push things that they don't know anything about. Or are you going to trust the people that, you know, have a picks package, you know, that are, that's for sale or are doing every single touting, every single sport, every single thing. I mean, come on. So that that's 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 really where we're trying to sit. And you know, we're definitely leaving some money on the table. But but I think like being more of a fantasy brand does make sense for us. Yeah, for sure. Long live fantasy. Okay, couple listener questions here before we get out of here. First one from friend of the show Thomas Fuller, aka G Night Moon, on the sites. He says, "Do you believe the rake on DraftKings and FanDuel is too high for the sustainability of the industry?" I mean, this has been a question going on for so 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 long. Um, I kind of have a take on this, but yeah, what do you think about sustainability of DFS given where the rake sits right now? It's crept up in some tournaments. I think I've seen 15% in some tournaments at times. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is a question for you, but, but also I wish for, for Thomas, like what, how would you define sustainability of the industry? Yeah. I, I think there's like some sentiment out there that like DFS is just going to like collapse at the knee of sports betting i mean i don't think that's going to happen whatsoever i asked a lot of people about this i mean everybody who i've had on the podcast um i've asked about this for interviews and pretty much universally everybody thinks that every people 
betting on sports more is still good for DFS as a whole. Yeah, I mean, but just in terms of this question, like too high of rake being making things sustainable. I mean, there's two ways of looking at the, the sustainability. One is it is it the ability for pros or winning players to continue to win, or is it the industry to continue to get people to play DFS? I uh, it, I think he, I think he's asking about the latter, about you know the rake churning through so many people and people getting so frustrated that eventually the player pool shrinks. Yeah, I, I think most people ask this question, like worried about the former. They're, they're worried they're not going to be able to make money, but the, it's under the guise of the latter. It's it's oh well, if they don't lower this rake, everyone's going to quit and they're going to have nothing. And, and when really it's like if they don't lower this rake, I'm not going to make as much money as I would like to make. You know that and that and that's kind of along the same lines as like Sharp saying, you know, I can't believe they're kicking all these people out. Like that's going to be bad for them. They're kicking out losing players, even. You know, like. So, so I guess, you know, my answer is I probably think that like, they're smart enough to not certainly DraftKings. I, sometimes I wonder with FanDuel, but like, I think they're probably smart enough to not push it too high to like truly crater the industry, because if they made the rake 50%, this thing would go down overnight, you know, because it's just, it's just too hard to to overcome that to to be fun. But like, you know, I, I think that they're, aware enough that that like it's an advantage to have all these people coming back to their site for fantasy and you know trying to make uh, probably what's a modest profit off of dfs in in the name of making larger profits in in other places um i I think the bigger problem is just that like there's just so many people out there that know what they're doing now and and like you know there's there's great resources such as etr um and and like you could play if you can play against people that don't know what they're doing or they're new. The rake isn't even close to too high, you know. But if you're playing against people that have been playing for eight years and they're all using, you know, the same projections, it's pretty tough to win. Um, but at the same time, it's not impossible. Like that—that's the crazy thing. Like there's so much changing information and so much nuance to, to DFS that, like, I still think if you're working hard at it, um, you know, it's it's pretty damn a good spot to make a little bit of side income at a minimum. Oh, I, I still think, I really do still think that with right game selection, and I can't emphasize that enough, with the right game selection and you're playing low to mid stakes, you can still win 10 to 20% ROI in DFS for sure. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that whatsoever. And on, on the whole thing of the rake being too high, I mean, what percent of people playing like the DraftKings Millie Maker even know what the rake is? Like, do they even like think about it? They're just like, oh, a million dollars. I'm going to throw a hundred bucks in five teams and and try to win it and they have fun and they don't care that the rake is 13 15 or 17 percent like they couldn't care less you know so like i understand that people listening to this podcast are hardcore and i understand being rate conscious i you know i i want people to be rate conscious and, and price sensitive and all that but man the overwhelming majority of people aren't listening to this podcast and they have no idea even what the rake is in the stuff that they're playing right yeah, for sure. It's just that the people putting in the majority of the en- or a lot of the entries right. are rate conscious, and and that and that's the thing. That's why the sites have to be aware of this, and that and that may be more the that's the more nuanced take of this question is like how do these things relate? Like, are they eventually going to drive away too too many of the guys that are serious, and that's going to just lower the prize pools, which is then going to drive away everyone else? Maybe, but like I kind of just don't think so. And I, I think like, I mean, just scroll. I'm just going off NFL because I'm an NFL guy. Just scrolling through like the big tournaments, like the, the the Millie Maker. I mean, you see quite a few. Like overall, the ownership percentages are fairly sharp, but like you'll see tons of teams that are just completely dead. You know, mm-hmm. to the point where like 
it's really obvious that if you know what you're doing, you have a, a positive RO or expected ROI. But, you know, I mean, you got to go through a ton of variants to get there. And, and I, I do think it's at least worth discussing, like the high stakes tournaments, I think have gotten, you know, really hard. Um, that's not to say I'm not going to play. And like, I, I don't think they're fun, but like the edge is just not massive or, or big, even in the tournaments. Whereas I thought like, you know, three, four years ago, any, literally any tournament had a really high edge available. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last question we're going to do is from Rich. He says, can I invest in ETR? And then in parentheses, he wrote serious, just in case we thought he was just, he was just joking. Uh, we haven't taken a single uh, penny from anyone outside of the co-founders when we started. Do you want to start by taking money from Rich on Twitter as our first ever uh, outside investor? Rich, the answer to this question depends on one thing only. And that's how much money do you have? Um, and if it's a lot, then I would say yes. Um, but no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, no, we, we've, I've, I've gone through, I've had companies in the past where we raised outside money and for various reasons, it just, it can be challenging. And I'm not going to say we would never do it. Um, but like all else equal in a business like this, where we don't need a ton of money to go out and spend on like television ads or something crazy expensive. I think it's nice to keep it close, you know, close and closely held and just, you know, it's just the partners that, that, um, you know, that start the founders essentially um, that, that, that own the business. So um, yeah, no, I think it's cool and I appreciate the interest and um, you know, maybe someday, but, but probably not now. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, my thing is like, I don't want someone telling me I can't make a sex joke. You know what I mean? I, I'm not, I'm not up for that. I need to be able to fire off as many sex jokes as I want. So, and I don't want someone else telling us, well, you guys didn't make your, your quarterly uh, 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 goals in, in revenue this, this month. I'm going to be up your ass. Like, you know, I got enough going on. I got a wife. I got two kids. I don't need somebody else up my ass about, about not making enough money or whatever. Yeah, no, it's funny too. Cause we've had some really casual conversations before with, potential investors or just people interested in the business. And it was like, Oh, you know, can you share your like two year projections for the the revenue? And, and granted this was earlier on in the business when we had like very little information, but I was just like, yeah, no, we can't uh, because we don't have them. And, 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 and it's like, well, you don't have them. And it's like, well, I mean, we're like four guys on a WordPress site, you know, like, like what, it would be completely disingenuous for me to project out like, how well something's going to do that. Like we've never done and and I could do it, but like, it's not really worth anything. Um, and I love, it's funny how I'm the suit around here too. Like I get made fun of for being the suit and like in a normal environment, I'm, I'm honestly probably one of the most like unsuit like people possible, but it just goes to show how insane you got, you are first of all, but, but just like the gambling industry is, um, it's cool. I love it, but it is insane. Wow. It's the internet too, man. Like the, the middleman has been cut out. Like, you know, we don't have to work for suits anymore. We can just do it ourselves, you know, through these great programs that are available online and through and through the internet. Internet is just everything. Yeah. I mean, long live the middleman. Um, you know, no, I'm kidding. But um, it, it's, I, I actually, I, I want to rant about against that. People are so worried about like, someone else getting a cut, like there's a, like a middleman can, can make sense. You know, it just, there has to be like, and I, and I actually consider myself in, in ETR to be that person. Like I'm not creating content, you know, and I'm not, you know, people aren't signing up for me, but like I'm creating value for, for you and Evan and everyone else, because I'm helping you leverage your, your abilities more. And I think, I actually think there's this weird overreaction right now to like any sort of like, 
centralization or like authority or this or that. Like, you know, the key is like working with people that know what the hell's going on and like understand creating value and, 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 and are trying to like keep everyone's interests in mind. And, and I think like, yeah, so I'm sorry to rant well, on that, but I just hear it all the time. Uh, sure. I think people more are referring to more direct middlemen. Like I'm getting a mortgage right now and I look at the fee list on the mortgage and there's all these people, I, they haven't done one thing and they're getting all these fees. I mean, I, I don't, I don't even know what that, what's going on there. That's, that's the middleman that I think needs to be cut out. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's fair. But, it, but it's like, you know, yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's, it's, it's just like, there's a time and a place for someone else to like have their hand in your pocket really is what it comes down to. Sure. And it's just, it just has to make sense for everyone. But um yeah, I see. That's the thing. I, maybe I am the suit because I'm always just sitting here, like defending. I'm defending like the mortgage broker or something, <laughs> which is absurd. Like absolutely absurd. Oh boy! All right, we better end it before Taylor embarrasses himself too much as the corporate seat. Okay, head to the site, check out the bundle. We'll be back. Uh, Silva's latest, newest 150 will be out soon. You can find his tiers up on the site, and also we're going to talk about some of this news that's been going on. I know that people have been going back and forth talking about. The stuff between DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, the Julio Jones fallout, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to do a couple pods on that tomorrow. Look for those over Memorial Day weekend. You guys enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Be safe out there. For producer Luke, for King Suit Taylor, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.